invite you now to hear this reading from John's Gospel, the sixth chapter, verses 51 through 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Really? Really? Thanks be to God. Did y'all hear what Jesus just said? If you eat my flesh, if you drink my blood, only then will you live forever. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Thanks be to God. Are we ready to do that? That's a weird saying, isn't it? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That's not normal. That's not normal. If we weren't in the church, if this weren't in the Bible, We would be shocked by someone saying this. If this weren't Jesus, if this were just somebody else that we met out in the world, we would be shocked if we heard them say that, wouldn't we? It's not normal. But we hear this so often, and we have read this in the Bible for so long, that we don't get that experience of being shocked like maybe we did the first time we heard this. Or maybe like someone who hasn't grown up in the church might be shocked when they hear this. Or or maybe even like those people who were around Jesus the very first time that he uttered those words. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Then you'll get to live. We lost something along the way. We've gotten used to these weird sayings that we find in the Bible. So much of what we do here at church and so much of our faith that we do on a daily basis, it's not normal everyday stuff. But we treat it as if it's no different than going to the grocery store to buy another carton of eggs. But if you take it out of context, if you haven't grown up with these things, this is a very, very different life than just going to the grocery store for another carton of eggs. You see, a couple of years ago, I guess it's been more than a couple of years ago by now, but Carowinds opened a new roller coaster. And I love roller coasters. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love to get on every single roller coaster I could possibly get on. But I hadn't yet been on this Borg Assimilator. And this Borg Assimilator is one of these roller coasters where you can line up, it's either four or six people, side by side by side. And you sit down in it, and then it leans you all the way back. And you take off, laying down, and you can't see where you're going. And you ride it a ways, 
and it flips over and it turns and you feel like you're flying through the air. Well, I could not wait to get on this roller coaster. I had been spammed in my junk email accounts by Carowinds that I had to go check out this new roller coaster. I had friends who had gone and they had experienced this roller coaster. They said, Josh, you've just got to go. You've got to see this thing. You've got to ride on it. It's the greatest roller coaster I've ever experienced. So I went. I went in the middle of summer to Carowinds. And I stood in that line. And it must have been 105 degrees that day, it felt like. They had the fans blowing at different periodic places there in this line because they knew that you were going to be waiting for a couple of hours to ride this ride. And so they had the fans blowing and they would start misting a little bit of water so that you wouldn't overheat while you're out there. And after about an hour of standing in this line, I was getting a little aggravated, a little hot, a little frustrated, a little hungry, tired. I was ready to ride this ride. And I started talking to the guy there in front of me. And he didn't seem that excited about this ride that everybody had been talking up so much. And I discovered that he went to one of the colleges right down the street from Carowinds. And he was there for summer school. And what you do in summer school there apparently is, well, he had plenty of time to go ride roller coasters because he got a really good discount there. And so he had been riding this roller coaster over and over and over and over again to the point that it just didn't exhilarate him like it used to. He liked it. It was the best roller coaster there at the theme park, so he kept riding it. It was the best that he had. But it had lost some of that excitement, some of that specialness that it had from that very first time that he had ridden it. And so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, this guy has ridden this roller coaster a lot. And he doesn't seem that excited about riding it one more time. And the first thing that I thought, well, get out of the way then. Let's make this line move a little faster. But then the second thing that hit my mind was, maybe I should stay in line. Maybe he just forgot how special this thing is. Maybe it's just become a routine for him. He just gets up in the morning and comes and stands in line and rides this roller coaster all day long until he goes home and he sleeps so he can do it again tomorrow. But I decided I was going to stay in that line because I figured maybe there was something that made him get on this roller coaster to start with. And after my first encounter with this roller coaster, after two and a half hours of waiting in line, of not being able to handle the, the, the waiting and, and the longing to get on this roller coaster, I rode it for four minutes, if it, if it was even that long. And I could not wait to get back in line for another two and a half hours to ride it again. It was that good. Shouldn't our relationship with God be that way? Shouldn't our relationship with God be so exciting and so life-giving and so thrilling that we would wait in a two-and-a-half-hour line in 105-degree weather just for a couple of moments of that excitement, of being able to experience that personal, deep relationship with our God? See, once we get a taste of how fun that can be, once we get a taste of how great that can be, once we get a taste of how hopeful and life-giving that can be, we should never forget that. We should never forget how special that is. But I'm afraid that all too many of us end up finding ourselves treating this religion like the guy standing in line in front of me. Maybe we jumped on the ride the first few times because we got excited about it, but somewhere along the way, the repetition and the monotony of everything we do 
of reading this book that seems like it's got the same stories, never seem to change, of coming into a, a worship place that seems to have the same thing over and over and over again, somewhere through all of those years, it just kind of lost that excitement. We forgot how great that first experience can be. Maybe somewhere along the way we started thinking that this adventure and this relationship with God was more about how we do it or that we do it than being about the relationship itself. If my encounter with the guy there in that line had caused me to think this roller coaster isn't worth the wait, I would have missed out if I had gone to something with a shorter line. If my encounter with this guy in line had been the only experience I had with this roller coaster, I probably would have gone on to have an encounter with something else that wasn't nearly as good, that wasn't nearly as exciting, wasn't nearly as life-giving to me as the Borg Assimilator. I want each one of us to take just a moment right now and think about our relationship with God or, or about the way that we practice our faith. Regardless of what kind of spiritual help we have, even if it's good, regardless of how we think our relationship with God is or the way that we're practicing our faith, how do you think somebody on the outside, somebody who doesn't have that experience in that relationship with God, how do you think they view your faith? How do you think they view your relationship with God, the way that you practice it, the way you live it out, the way it impacts your life? Are they going to think that it's worth standing in line for? Are they going to think that it's worth all of that time and effort, energy, even if it's just for a couple of moments? Or are they going to look at it and think, my life's too short for something like that. I need to move on to something more productive. When was the last time you got so excited about an encounter with God, about coming to worship, that you thought, I have to bring somebody else with me. How many people have you brought to church with you this year? More importantly, how many people have you brought to church with you in your lifetime who did not have an experience with God already? It's easy to invite people who already go to church. There's no risk there. It gets a little more risky when you ask somebody and you aren't sure what their response will be. But the risk is worth the reward. The life that you get, the relationship that you get, it's worth that wait in line. And that's worth telling other people about. When was the last time you got so excited about gathering together to praise God that you just could not stand the thought of sitting here in this room with people who already had a relationship with God, knowing that there are people out there who don't. Shouldn't they be here enjoying this ride with us? Isn't that what the ride's all about? As Christians, our job is to be like Jesus. You see, Jesus is our teacher. More accurately, Jesus is our rabbi. And that means that he isn't just teaching us what to do. But because he's our rabbi, we're supposed to be learning so much that we are exactly like him. We do exactly what he would do. We love exactly the way he would love. 
We love exactly the people that he loves. Everyone. You see, God loves each and every one of us. And each and every one of those people out there in the world. As if they are the only person in all of creation. What would our faith look like if we loved like that? Not just the people that believe like us. Not just the people that look like us. But every single person. What would our faith look like if we did that? If that were our goal, if that were our motivation behind everything that we do, do you think that we would be more excited about our own faith? Do you think that other people might be excited about standing in line for a faith like that? Rather than just doing this faith as an everyday spiritual activity, rather than just becoming bored by the monotony of what we do in our faith, or even rather than just causing other people to become bored by what we do in our faith, might we do it in such a way that others get excited about the possibility of joining in? I'm not saying that we practice our faith poorly. On the contrary, what I'm saying is that we might have actually become so good at practicing the faith that it just looks like we don't even have to think about it. Or maybe we've become so good at practicing our faith that we don't think about it. Maybe it's time that we examine our lives and take a look at, at our own lives, Scripture, at everything we do relating to our relationship with God and one another, and look at all that with some new eyes, some fresh eyes, eyes of a beginner. It never hurts. I was talking to someone at a church where I was serving while I was in seminary. We were discussing some deep theological truths about our lives while we were stirring this giant cauldron of turkey stew with a boat paddle. And I was always fascinated by this guy's outlook on life, by the way that he actually practiced his faith. He was an older guy who had been going to this church for decades. He, had been, he may have been one of the founding members at this church. But his faith never seemed boring to me. It always seemed like every single day when he woke up, he decided that it's going to be a new day with my relationship with God. I'm going to look at it with some new eyes. I'm going to not get bored with what I do. I'm going to not take anything that I do for granted. And I asked this man how he had remained so excited about his faith for so long. And his response was that every single morning he had a devotion. He spent some time in scripture. He spent some time in prayer trying to figure out what that scripture meant for his life that particular day. But before he did that, because that's not all that different than what many Christians do. Before that, he would pray this prayer. God, I don't want you to ever get bored with what I have to say to you. Please don't ever let me get bored with what you have to say to me. Just that simple prayer. Please don't ever let me get bored with what you have to say to me. It kept things new for him. You see, he discovered a long time before that that complacency for him was probably his most dangerous enemy in his faith. He could go on and on and on doing the same thing every single day, every single week, every single month and year of his life. But if his faith became too easy, too routine, he would just sit it to the side and pick up something that was a little more challenging or, or a little more exciting 
And that would be it for his faith. I think it's probably that way for most of us. You see, our God has some wonderful things to tell us. If we'll just approach those things with fresh eyes, if we approach God's holy word each and every day, thinking, God, please don't let me ever get bored with what's here in your word. I wonder what mysteries we might discover. Those mysteries that we haven't encountered for a long, long time. I wonder what new sense of excitement we might feel. And I also wonder which new characters might emerge from Scripture who have something relevant to say in each of our lives. Jesus told his people who were there in the Scripture in today's reading, and he tells each one of us, you eat my flesh, you drink my blood, you'll have eternal life. It won't be like that bread that the fathers ate and died. This one will satisfy you. What I can provide can fill that longing in your heart. It can bring you into a new life. Full of love. Full of compassion. Full of hope. Full of mercy. Full of those things that you feel like you're missing right now. I don't care how many times in our life we have heard that message. That should never lose its excitement. Folks, that's good news. That's exciting news. That's news that when we join our life with that of Christ, when we decide to stay in line long enough to experience that ride, that's going to provide us with more life than we ever thought possible. And will never, ever be the same after that. There is not one person in this room, not one person outside of this room, who has not had some sense of longing in their heart, either right now or at some point in their life. See, some people have figured out that the only way to satisfy that hunger and that longing is to be in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And I thank God for those people who have figured that out. They don't just come to church on Sunday mornings because it's what you do. They don't just spend time reading God's word because they feel like that's what good Christians do. And they don't just put a little bit of money in the offering plate when it comes by because they feel like it's some debt that they owe the church or God. See, they come to church each Sunday morning because they recognize that being with a community of believers, being with people who are searching to deepen their relationship with God, that's where they get their life. That's where they get their excitement. That's where that joy comes from. They read their Bible. They read God's Word because with every word that their eyes come across, their soul is lifted a little bit. They receive a little bit of guidance, a little bit of direction, a little bit of hope. When that plate is passed in front of them, they put in it all that they possibly can put in. Not because they feel like they have to, but because they recognize that it's a response. It's a response to God's love, believing that God's going to provide, that he's already provided, that he'll continue to do so. And that by giving back, maybe that'll go to bring somebody else into a relationship with God, that they might know that God can provide too. 
Folks, when you start developing this relationship with God, when you start deepening it, or when you start redeveloping this relationship with God, may you recognize that you're doing something exciting. May you recognize that you're not just doing something out of repetition over and over again. May you recognize that your faith is so much more than just another thing in your life. May it become that thing in your life around which everything else revolves. And if you can take it from being just another thing on the outside of your life that you fold into your daily activities, and you can move it into that central thing that is your identity as a beloved child of God, and everything else moves around that, that mystery that once was there, that excitement that once was there, that newness that once was so exciting, it'll start to come back. And other people will take notice. No longer will people see this giant line as something to be encountered and and run away from. But they'll actually want to stand in that line so that they can ride that ride right next to you. Thanks be to God. Amen.